to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a prominent trumpet player on the British jazz scene, Mark Kavama. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. I am your host, Leander Young, and today we have Mark with us from the United Kingdom. <laughs> Hello. How you Hello doing, people. sir? I'm very well, thank you. So, tell the people a bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Mark Kavuma. I'm based here in the UK. I'm a trumpet player, teacher, and composer, and... Uh, I run an, an, an I run an organization called the Banger Factory, which is a group contingent about bringing the peoples a good time, and we're based in London, but um, it's quite a big community, and uh, that's me. That's me in a nutshell. What do you mean by bring the people a good time? Well, we oh, that's we always have to bring the people a good time. Otherwise, it's you know it's not a successful gig. That's kind of our main objective. That I agree with. And what part of London? So uh, I'm primarily based in South London. I grew up in Peckham. Um, I'm now still in the South London area. I'm in a place called Surrey Keys. That might not mean anything to you, but um, I'm in South London. I understand. South London. Uh, what team do you follow? Ah, you wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing is, I, I actually, I had to leave football, man. It got too emotional. It got too emotional, so I kind of, I just stopped. I stopped around. What are you, a West Ham fan? Too emotional. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like, it just got too emotional, man. I was like, I can't take this kind of, it's too emotional. So now I just, I don't really follow it anymore, to be honest with you. Okay. And actually, no, to be an, another factor was, I used to play a lot of football. I was always playing football. But when I got my glasses, that kind of, uh, put a stop to that thing so I was I stopped kind of playing it and then I stopped following it not not long after that okay that's fair so when did you start taking trumpet serious it's taking trumpet serious I started trumpet when I was about 12 years old um and it happened by accident um believe it or not but I started taking trumpet seriously I would say at around 14 15 years old and how do you fall into trumpet by accident? Well, okay. So when I started a uh, secondary school, which is, uh, I went to secondary school in Peckham and it was a school called St. Thomas the Apostle. But anyway, at that school, when you enter in year seven, which is like our first year, everybody has to do, you, you kind of have to do music. It's compulsory. And then uh, after year seven, then you kind of start choosing your subjects, you know, kind of specializing a little bit more. But uh, story goes, I was, I was in music like everybody else. And after that, the music teacher was like, I think you should carry on with music. And kind of, I'm not from a musical background or family or anything like that. So I was like, really? Oh, he's like, yeah, I think you should carry on. So I thought, okay. And he's like, what would you want to, what do you want to play? And I was like, uh, so I turned over to my best friend and uh, he chose guitar and trumpet and basically what happens is you have a tryout lesson and i thought initially i thought like 
we were all going to be in a group together. So I thought, well, I'll, 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 I'll be, you know, I'll choose what he chooses, thinking that we're all going to be in the same group. I didn't know it was going to be one-to-one lessons. So anyhow, I had my tryout lesson on the trumpet and the guitar, and he had his, and I got the trumpet, he got the guitar. <laughs> I chose the trumpet because of him. But, and then he quit <laughs> not long after that. But here I am. Wow. Okay. <laughs> And that's how it started, you know, and it was complete by accident. I remember going home with my trumpet case, like, yeah. And my mom's like, okay, it's a phase. Cool. Something for him to do. But not, I mean, to be honest with you, about six months into it, I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. But I didn't really, really get serious, serious until about 13, 14. Okay. And where else did you study? What else did I study? Well, at school, I... Um, in secondary school, I did the same. I did maths, English, and all that. But then at sixth form college, where you kind of specialize a bit more, I did um, English, maths, and music. And uh, it was kind of, you know, I was under the thing that I, I got to do well on these other subjects just to prove to my parents that I can do it. <laughs> I had my eyes set on, on music at uni, but I was like, I got to show them, man. <laughs> So I did, and uh, I did pretty well in uh, maths and English, but I was always going to do music. Okay, that's... So did your parents fault you when you said, I'm going to major in this? Well, no, I mean, I think the thing was, uh, when I said I wanted to be a musician from early on, I think they kind of thought, oh, this is a phase, this is a phase. And I always got the thing, especially from all the, the other family members, you know, so what, what, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to do music. They're like, yeah, but what do you want to do as a career? And I'm like, well, music. And so, so there was always that thing of, you know, I just had the sense that they didn't take a, a profession in music that seriously. So I, I suppose when I was younger, I was like, I have to show them that I can do the other things too, but this is my passion, you know. And, and that's kind of the story, really. And when did they start believing or taking you more serious? Well, okay, so it's happened at different stages. I would say for my parents, um, my mom especially, I reckon that was um, maybe the, she was the first one, around 17, 18. She, always, she was always supportive, don't get me wrong. But um, when it got to the point of like, okay, he's taking this seriously and, um, you know, this is how it's going to be. I think that was 17, 18. But I think for my pops, it wasn't until, you know, he, came, he flew over to America to see me play, and it was like, oh, damn, this is quite something. And I think that happened around when I was 21. And then the rest of my family is kind of like, you know, even later. So it's, it's been a process, but now everybody's... Funnily enough, when I, when I say I'm not from a musical family, when I started playing, nobody in my family played music or anything. But now there's a whole little army of musicians, you know, so... I think it's definitely had an impact on my family and now they're all supportive, you know. Okay, that's great. So your father flew over to see you perform how? No, how... no, so I was, I, was doing, I was doing a show. I was doing this, uh, touring the States with a show called The Suit. The Suit. Uh, in The Suit, yeah, yeah. And so we were, we were going around the States. But when we stopped over in San Francisco, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to get my parents tickets to come and see me. 
it's, I'm, I'm going to do it. And it was kind of, it was a, it was a present. And they were so surprised because they thought, really? And uh, when they made it, it was, it was a beautiful, it was just so beautiful to kind of be able to do that, you know. And that was the point. I think my pops was like, all right, son, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> keep flying me out. Exactly. Fly me out! <laughs> oh, man. But what is the suits thing about? Okay, so the, the the suit was um was a show set in South Africa. It's a, I don't know if you've heard of Peter Brook, but he's a famous English director, and um and it was he, he was directing the suit, but it was a short story set in South Africa during apartheid, and uh, it was about a uh, husband and wife. It's, it's it's based around a husband and wife who are living uh, in this oppression. The husband goes to work every day, um, but the the wife s- stays at home, looks after the house, uh, you know. And she's quite a creative being, and she's frustrated about just staying home and, you know, while her husband goes out to work. So long story short, she ends up having an affair. And, uh, and his best friend tells him, look, I think your wife's, I think your wife, I think something's going on. And... He's like, nah, impossible, you know. So anyway, he comes back home and he finds her in bed with me. And I was the lover in the show, by the way. So he finds her in bed and he calls her name. He pretends not to see, he calls her name. And I jump up, jump out the window and, you know, I run away, but I leave my suit. And that's kind of the premise of the story. It's like, whose suit is this, you know? And he, the whole thing, he punishes her, so to say, by making her look after the suit as if it's a guest. So when they go to church, they've got the suit. If anybody comes home, they've got the suit there. And the whole thing is, what is the suit? Who is the suit? And it's kind of a psychological game. Um, but it it's, it's also relates to apartheid, and it's, there, there's loads of connotations in there. But that was the suit, and I got to tour around the world with that, which was a blessing, really, because I was only 20, 20 when I joined the cast and turned 21 in America. So you weren't playing... Trumpet at all for that? I was playing trumpet. I went to audition for trumpet. The auditions were in, were in Paris. And, you know, I got asked, you know, you might be interested in this thing. I said, cool. Turned up and <laughs> the, the assistant director is like, oh, but he's the lover. You know, she's French. He's the lover. And I have no idea what she's talking about. I literally, I'm just like, I'm here to play my trumpet. I'm like, you know, what do you want me to do? And then they asked me, have you done some acting? I said, No. They're like, can you act? I said, well, you know, depends what you want me to do. And I didn't know I was going to have this whole whole thing in the suit. And it kind of came by just, I didn't go to audition for an acting role, but I kind of ended up acting and playing trumpet. I mean, the cast was small. There was about six of us. And uh, there's three musicians and three actors. So we were kind of, I was kind of doubling on some things as well as the lover. But I mean, that's that that was great because that's how it kind of exposed me to America. I got to spend a good time, a good amount of time in America, and it kind of it it was a, a pinnacle point in my life because it kind of like sealed like this is what I want to do, you know, this is fun. I mean, that's unique, and yeah. When is no more acting? I mean, I mean, what happened was after a while, I thought I just gotta. I gotta play. I, you know, that was the frustration. I was touring the world, and 
you know, it was fun. Luckily, my part wasn't completely set. So it wasn't like I was playing the exact same part every night. But after a year of kind of doing that tour, I was kind of like, man, I got to I gotta play. I missed playing, you know, full time primarily, you know, and it was just a frustration. So that's kind of what happened. After a while, I thought I have to get back to playing. And this is what I'm, I'm out here to do, you know. As much as, as fun as the acting was, you know, playing is my, my passion. Okay, fair. So what was your first impression of America? Wow. Okay. It should be interesting, right? <laughs> okay, so my first impression of America. Okay, let me, let me answer that in two, 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 two ways. I, I had been to America before, but I'd only been to New York. Okay. I had been to New York. Before. Let's start with New York then. And my first impression of New York was like, damn, this is intense. It's like, go, 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 go. It was the, it was the intensity that kind of got me at first because it was just like, you know, everything's happening 100 miles per hour. And it's just like everybody, but everybody's in it. So it's like, if you slow down, no, it's just like, you have to just kind of join the train. And that was a big shock to me because it was just like, so full on. And after about two weeks, I was like, okay. But the first few days, I was just like, whoa, can we just slow down a bit, please? <laughs> Everything's moving so fast. So that was my first impression of New York. And then I, uh, when I came, but when I first came to New York, I was lucky in the sense that I had a, I had a friend. I don't know if you know Michael Muenzo, who used to work at Dizzy's. But he... He used to work at Ronnie Scott's when he was when he was here. He used to run the late night jam session at Ronnie Scott's, and then he went over there to run the late night at Dizzy's. And so I kind of had like someone kind of showing me around. I wasn't just out there cold, you know. Um, and then the second it, it, the second time, or sh shall I say, when I went around the rest of the states, I was just shocked at how like completely different like some of the states are. I mean, it was just like, I mean, it might sound obvious. Uh, it might sound yes, obvious, but until, until it was like, man, I feel like you could be in a different country. It's just like, what? I mean, but when I'm in Liverpool, I think I'm in a different country. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> but um, it was just the, how different the states are, you know? I, I, it kind of, that was kind of a revelation to me because I kind of just thought, yeah, it's America, it's all... But then it was like, oh, wow, it's the quite um, clear distinctions as you go through different states and people's attitudes as well, you know. So, yeah, that was the big thing for me. Okay. Any, play, any city stood out the most to you? Sure. Um, San Francisco definitely stood out for me. I suppose that was special because my parents were there as well. Um, Funnily enough, it's funny because the rest of the cast didn't... I, I really like Seattle. I don't know why. Maybe because it was raining all the time. It reminded me of London. I don't know. That's about to say. But, <laughs> but it was just... We had a good, I had a good time there. Um, but I don't know if everybody on the team can relate. Um, I really liked... Of course, New York was a dream. Philadelphia was great. Uh, Philadelphia had some... No? No. You're not in... No? Uh, wait, Philadelphia had some what? Well, we had some good parties. We had some good parties. We had some good times. Okay, if you say so. 
<laughs> hey, come on, come on. What, what, what do you have to say about Philadelphia? I know Christian McBride would love you for saying that, but the rest of the jazz world would be like, nah. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I'm answering this. I'm not answering this in, uh, uh, from a kind of music playing. It was more no, no, of the times. Um, but what else was good? We had a... See, LA was frustrating. I, I thought I thought it would be amazing, but just the, the distance to get to places was a bit... It got to me after a while, you know? So I kind of thought... It was, you know, that was one of the things before I went on the tour. I was like, yeah gonna go check out LA and I was really excited and when I got there it was cool but it was like man everything's so far away you gotta drive everywhere you gotta I know. drive everywhere so anyway those were my I mean San Francisco definitely was the highlight for me you know it was like a little paradise I just love the fact of how like green it is as well it's in the city you know so it was I, I liked it I liked it okay so let's where go- you where you where you from what part of America are you from? I live in New York. You're, you're okay. So, yes. but are you are you from New York? I'm Bye. from New York. Wow, brilliant. Making brilliant. background, okay? Brilliant, brilliant. Uh-huh. Been to the... Europe. <laughs> lived in England for a while. I have a problem with oh, England. You, you lived there for a while? Manchester. NW4 uh, in London, if you know what W4 is. NW, yeah, no, Northwest, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you lived in Manchester. What were you doing in Manchester? Long story. I'll tell you about that later. Okay, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, yes, yes. So tell us about this album that you're working on. The album I'm working on is, um, so it's with the band, The Banger Factory. And it's this one in particular, um, it's quite special because it features, there's a lot of people on it. It's kind of a, it features basically the community The Banger Factory comes from. Because The Banger Factory is a band but essentially there's like loads, there's a musical community that's kind of the, the, the basis of it. So it features a lot of people from this community. And the album is called Arashi no Ato, which means after the storm. Um, and it's going to be released in the autumn. And it will be released on the Banger Factory label. I'm setting up a label, which is very exciting. So I'm in the process now of uh, building a team to kind of make that happen because I realized you really need some good people around you to make a label work. But the album that Arashi no Ato, it will be coming out later on in the autumn and it features uh, loads of musicians, Ruben Fox, Ruben James. We've got a whole choir on there. One of the tracks is a massive choir. There's about 20 of us. Um, so it's just like, it's just, it features it's it's a story of a community. This next album, it's the story. It's basically a story of a community, and it features a lot of people. Fion Cross, um, Fion. loads of people. Fion, Fion's on there. So, oh. <laughs> why are you laughing, man? <laughs> Nothing. I'm looking forward towards that. I like the Cross, man. But do you know what's really funny? One of the first persons that... I reached out for to come out of the show is this scheduling didn't work out. Oh man, yeah. What's what's really funny is me and Fionn go back way, way back because when I started trumpet, we actually went same school, same secondary school. Mm. So we're all the same schools, you know. And there was a thing going between us because Fionn was like the star. He was just like any exam, Fionn was gonna kill get it. a distinction. He was mm-hmm. gonna kill it, and that was the thing, and everybody knew it. And so until I came along, and we had this thing because I started getting doing you know fairly well. 
but it was like who's you know you have in here you have the system whereas you either pass merit or distinction for the grade exams mm -hmm. and um I was like, okay, Fiona, I have to get a distinction. I have to get a distinction. Because I knew Fiona was going to get a distinction. And so this run throughout school, you know, with our musical rivals. But, you know, I love Fiona. I love him. <laughs> I just want to ask you what made him go into jazz so hard with this. Wow, this, it's really funny because at that, when we started, when we were, like, young, uh, 12, 13, Fiona was actually playing euphonium at that point. Mm -hmm. and um, we were in all the school bands and we joined there was a, a program called the Tomorrow's Warriors which is basically um, um, like a program for you it's a jazz program that a lot of us have come through and so naturally we all kind of went there Fionn's brother plays trombone but here's Fionn and you've got saxophones trumpets uh, you know the, the whole shebang but Fionn's got the tuba and the, the thing was, for a long time for Fionn, was where do I fit in? Do I have the bass players? Well, got a double bass. Where, but the horn players, well, you've got all these horn players. And so he was just kind of working out how to, where does he, where, where's his place in all this? And then just a few years later, he just created his own thing and just, just killed it. Completely killed it. Okay. Well, like I said... Interesting yeah. project. Looking forward towards that. And you're not worried <laughs> about making your own label? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I've um, the first my first two albums that I was I was on a label Ubuntu, and that was quite a educational process for me because initially I was going to release my first album by myself until Ubuntu came in. And then I kind of, I was really checking out the whole process of how Martin, who runs the label, was kind of running things. And then after the second album, I realized, well, two things. I realized, look, there's this community of people that we need to be represented. And I can't, none of these labels out here can really represent us in the way that, I, you know, I think would want to be represented. And then also, I... I've been playing with the idea of setting up a label and then lockdown came along and it was like, this is the perfect time to kind of bring this into reality. So I went, I started kind of going about it and, and it's just been about building a team of uh, so someone publicity distributes. It's kind of been just building a team. That's the main thing. If you have a good team, it's kind of, it's possible. I think that's been the main thing for me. I'm not afraid, I suppose, because I've got quite a lot of support in making it happen. Okay. And what tip would you give somebody starting a label? I would say um, you have to definitely have a good team of people around you. It's, I mean, that's, that's the, the, the it, that's it. That's it. You just have to, I mean, I that's the part. more than that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, no, no. Okay. No, I'm, I'm starting because that's kind of the fundamental. If you, if you can work with the people, that's kind of the basis. If you can't, if you don't get on with people from the get, it's not going to work. Secondly, I think you have to be, you have to just be fully committed and treat it like a job, like almost like a, I mean, that's what I found. Initially, I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a label until I realized just how much work actually I have to do to make it <laughs> a success. So you have to be prepared for the workload. That's kind of some advice I'll give somebody. It's quite, it's quite a lot of work. So have a good team of people around you and be prepared. So you're saying that 
you don't enjoy just being the artist that makes the album and then submitting it. Not worrying about all the backdoor stuff and behind the scenes stuff. That all the time? You're not you saying you'd rather own the label versus being the artist who just makes the music and passes it on. Yes, because I, I suppose I see the Banger Factory as a three-tier thing. So we have the label, and then obviously there's uh, the educational side for things, workshops, and then there's the band. So it's kind of a, it's a three-tier. If, 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 if I wasn't representing, shall I say, quite a few different people, then maybe if it was just, just about me and I just want to kind of, you know, uh, propel my career forward then maybe that would be easier but I feel like I've, I'm kind of uh, I've got a whole community of people behind me and around me that are kind of uh, it's not just about me anymore really okay so so I feel like and I can't and I can't I've having been in the with a label I feel like with the right team I could really um, do something special so what's something you don't like about the London scene? Ooh, he went there. Something I don't like about the London scene? Okay, I'll tell you what I don't like about the London scene. I don't like the divide that you get between older and younger musicians. So, uh, for instance, like when, when, when I was in New York, there's kind of... Uh, uh, there's you have the old musicians and the younger musicians, but everybody's working kind of together. Or you know, you you have the opportunity to be around older musicians. I think more than here, it's it's kind of a thing of like, oh, they're young and they're playing that kind of music, and it's just, there's just a separation that I feel. So I try to like, uh, that's one thing that I don't like: the separation between the generations. It kind of frustrates me because I'm like, man, why, why? I, I want to play with these guys. I want to play. With I want to learn for some of the older guys. And I've been lucky in the sense that I've had the opportunity, but I can see it with some of my other peers, where there's just that link isn't there between the younger and the old, young and old musicians. Um, one other thing I would say I don't like about the London scene. Hmm. To be honest, I think that's the main thing, just that's the separation. It? Okay. Well, 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 I mean, it's, 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 I'm thinking, I am thinking. I mean, this is your chance to vent. I was just curious. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think because now it seems that more than ever, well, first of all, there's been like a big surge of jazz in, in, in London of the last two or three years. So if you'd asked me this question maybe a bit earlier, I would have had a lot more to say, but it seems like things are on the up in terms of live music anyway at the moment. So there isn't much for me to start. Um, plus, we haven't been playing for a year, so I can't, nothing's coming to mind straight away that I don't like about the scene. I think we need to open up again and then it will all come back flooding to me. <laughs> okay, so the uptick in jazz in London the past two years, which you mentioned, which is something that is at least known in the States from a lot yeah. of people. What do you think was the main reason that happened? Okay, the main reason, I think there's a few factors. I think it's um, the type of venues um, musicians 
I've started playing it over the last two years has changed things a lot because I suppose before the pinnacle was Ronnie Scott's and, you know, like a jazz club, whereas everybody's sitting down and it's all very polite. You can't make much noise. And if you're, if you're having a good time and you're like, yeah, you're going to get some looks, you know, and it was that vibe. So I think the main change has been the types of venues people are playing at. Uh, people are now playing standing audiences where people just want to dance and I think, or, you know, move in some way. So I think that's affected the way people play, the kind of music people play is, has been affected, but it's also affected the, where people, like people's aims of where, okay, it's not Ronnie Scott saying, Ronnie Scott isn't the pinnacle anymore. Some people would rather be playing at the Total Refreshment Centre, for example, because they know it's going to be a party. Or Pizza as opposed Express, to, right? <laughs> exactly. So I think the main thing has been in the, uh, that's been a big factor, the type of places that um, people have been playing because it's drawn big crowds and and also the music musicians are having a good time. So it's been a, a kind of a mutual thing. And then secondly, uh, I would say there's been a community of, uh, of us uh, that's kind of grown up together uh, and we've kind of come to a musical maturity, shall I say, around the same time and there's been this big surge it's kind of been like where where's this all come from but i feel like through tomorrow's warriors and things like that you know i mean we all we're all connected me fion femi as all of us have kind of grown up together so and now we're kind of reaching some kind of you know beginning our musical maturity there's it's kind of a wave of these young musicians coming through at the same time you know so what do the elders or the old timers feel about the new jazz scene? Oh man, well, this is this is the divide I'm talking about because some of the elders, well, there's there's a few different things. Some of the older musicians, a very uh, a small few of them, are like, great, and this is their time. Let them have their you know time in the spotlight. So, so, and then there's the school of like, well, they're not playing jazz. It's not jazz, you know. Or it's not jazz. Why are they getting all this? you know, all this, um, all these accolades and then they're not really playing jazz, you know. And then there's the school of um, the older musicians who are just, I don't want to say jealous, but it's just like they're seeing all the younger kids playing these festivals, going around the world, and there's a bit of bitterness in there as well. So it's it's it's, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. It's um, But what I find funny is the you know, a lot of my peers, they they just <laughs> they're enjoying it a lot, and they 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 just like cool. I'm doing my thing, whether you like it or not. Here it is. But I do think I think that's part of the divide. I think there's that you know, um, there's definitely a divide between young and old in London. I find anyway, in my experience. Okay, so you guys are sell- playing in bigger venues, having more people celebrate jazz art and everything and they want to stay to the traditional standards so well, said one more time these elderly people wanted to oh, stay yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. well i think there's the thing of now like you know it's it's jazz is it's a broad thing you know within that there's so many different things that come through that especially now and especially in the london scene you know like my band the Bagner factory for instance i suppose um, you know, we're swinging and there's, 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 there's the swing beat in there and we're definitely got that going, but then there's other stuff, which 
there isn't any swing pers- in at all. It's more more grooves. And so I suppose when the older musicians hear that, it's that's when it's like, well, this isn't jazz. You know, what are they doing? It's just, you know. So I think it's a bit an element of that in there as well. Um, but personally, like I said, because I've grown up with all these people, it's just it's, it's just amazing to see what everybody's doing with their like. For instance, Fionn, you know, it's amazing to see what everybody's doing with with their thing, you know. And I had this. I'm just happy to see a, a diverse scene because I think it'll be dry if we're all playing the same thing, you know. But I suppose that's something that uh, some of the older musicians maybe are kind of overlooking. Okay. So where do you think jazz will be in 10 years, at least in the London scene? Wow. That's going to be interesting. In the London scene, I think... I think it depends on if whether this wave that we've had... Of course, we've had the, the 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 pandemic, so that's kind of slowed things down a bit in terms of the momentum of you know the, this London jazz scene. So it's going to be, I think, it's going to depend on what happens really over the next year and two years, you know, because there's been some people that have been like, well, you know, over the pandemic, maybe I should do something else. There's been elements of that, but I think. Um, those of us that are still playing, I think it's going to be very healthy. I think it's going to be, we're still going to be going strong, man. Okay. So you think it'll get bigger? Definitely, man. Definitely get bigger. I mean, the people here say point blank, they think it's going to die off. Like it's going to get smaller. Oh, who's saying that? Uh, No, I've heard that. A lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, do you know what? I think, if I'm truly honest with you, mm-hmm. I think all it boils down to is the the the, the music. I suppose you know it's the the I don't want to say the quality of music because that that's a bit uh, no, that's not. I, I I suppose what I mean is yes, the quality of the music. Those artists that are really playing. No, no I don't want to come across. Um, let me think about how I can phrase this. Because I, in answer to your questions, I do think there are there will be people that fall off, but I do think I see other people kind of being it in the long game. So I don't think the scene's going to die. I mean, we have you know someone like Shabaka, he's not going anywhere. Someone like Fion, he's only going to get bigger, you know, unless you know he stops playing. So, and and they're they're making great music. So that's what I mean. It depends on the quality of the music and who who we're talking about. I think there will be people that are not going to make it. In, in the 10 years but i think there's enough of us to kind of uh have hope that the scene will get you know stronger okay i work with that (laughs) hey man what do you mean you work with that i mean there's not much i can you know say on that i mean mean? (laughs) okay it's like you guys be listening to my shows now so i can't just pick point you guys this is good though (laughs) so what is your dream project my dream project. My dream project really is seeing the Banger Factory is my dream project and just realizing its full potential is kind of my goal in the next five to ten years. You know, I want I would like in the next five to ten years for the record label to be flourishing. I would like uh in the next 
five, ten years for the band to still be together as the, the core unit anyway. Um, like I said, there's a few of us, but we do have a core unit. And if we can stick together, then I think the world's our oyster. Um, and then also, the I suppose, the educational side of the Banger Factory to, to, to be going as well. So my dream project is the Banger Factory. And for that, to, in the next five to ten years, for that to really flourish in the way that I kind of envision it in my head, you know. Okay. And that will that will include you know touring all around the world, playing. Play, I just I just want to tour the world with my peoples and have a ball, man. <laughs> I just want to do it because I, mean, I think I've, I've I've done a lot of touring, but it's it's you know I've never been on tour with or like a, an extended tour with my with my group of people, my band, you know. I just so. Understood. So, what is the best compliment you ever received? Well, Leander, I mean, best compliment I've ever received. Yeah, the best one. Don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know. That um... many? <laughs> okay, which one has stuck with you? Uh, uh, okay, one time, I remember. I did. I did a concert. I did a concert with uh, uh, at the Barbican one time, and I, I was I was I was actually a guest soloist. It was with the Lincoln Center, Jazz Lincoln Center. And um, after this concert, you know, I was I was nervous and all that, and and did the concert. And about a year and a half later, this 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 uh, woman comes up to me. She's she says she's been trying to find me ever since that concert because the you know the sound made her cry my son made her cry and I was like whoa you know and I was quite young as well so I didn't really know how to respond to that but um that's something that kind of stuck out in my head you know it's just the fact that I was able to kind of communicate to someone in that way but um it's kind of a it's a tough question because I suppose you kind of try not to um, get sucked into compliments too much. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a tough question in that sense for me to answer because usually you're like, oh yeah, thanks, cool. And then, you know, you try and, you know, well, for, for me anyway, I, I, I get awkward with all, uh, compliments. So I kind of dismiss them really quickly and move on. Okay. That's a shame, man. You got to cherish those, man. You never know when the next it's, one's going to come. It's hard, man. It's because sometimes it's just, I don't know. I always just get awkward. It's like, you know, thanks, man. I just, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a funny thing. Okay. So, before we go, we know we like to give a shout out and show respects to the artists who came before us. But in your case, I'm just going to tell you an instrument. And you got to tell me who in the London scene you had to play with. Okay? Wow. Yeah. Gonna put all your friends on blast right now. Wow. Okay. So on drums. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. Rephrase the question one more time. So yeah. I normally give people like two jazz artists. Uh let's just say on trumpet. I would say 
choose between Winton Marcellas and Miles Davis, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, y'all really getting me tonight. But I we're not going to do that. We're just going to okay. name the instrument, and you're going to name who in the London scene you want playing with you. When Okay? So, on drums. Whoa, 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 whoa. And, and the, yo, that's... Whew. Makes okay. it more fun. I know. So, on drums, who would it be? Come on. <laughs> Oh God! Young, old, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. When you say playing with me, you mean like, uh, you know? I'm like, giving you a hundred thousand pounds to do an album. Who is your drummer? Wow, yo, you you're coming with the. This is a. You know, I think. Okay, see. Fine, fine, we'll switch it. No, 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 no. I want to answer, but let me just ask you a question before I answer. Go ahead. Okay, because London, there's loads of people that are from, you know. Oh, they don't need to be British born, if that's what you mean. Oh, well, if I, oh, just get Jason Brown, man. So on drums, it's who? Huh? On drums, it's Jason Brown? Jason Brown's here, man. Okay. Why are you not? Why, why are you not? It's, I'm not going to argue your decision. I just said, okay, so it's Jason Brown. Fair. Jason Brown, man. The you, one and only. You want to tell us why, though? Yeah, to be honest with you, it's an absolute, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have him here, you know, because he's, you know, he's based in New York, but he's been, he's kind of been based here for a while. And it's, it's definitely changed the game for the younger drummers and also the older drummers. He's been like, he's just kind of made everybody like, oh shit. <laughs> so he's definitely changed things here for both young and old. Okay. So it's just a, it's a, it's a pleasure to have him here. On keys. Deshanel Gordon. That's quick. Okay. Oh! How come? Dash, man. He's just... He, he's got the funk, you know, and that's, it's not many people have the funk. And when I say the funk, I hope that, does that even, you know, like Dash. Let me put, let me phrase it this way. If my uncle goes to see Dash play, he's going to get into it. He's going to, he's going to, he's, because Dash, he plays in a way that's like, whether you're into jazz or not, you can relate, but he's also one of the most gifted musicians we have, you know. So there's a lot of piano players who've got the chops, they've got the stuff, but Desh has got the funk. Okay. And bass. Michael Shrimpling. Because? Because I, Michael, he, he's really, um, You know, if Michael's on the gig, it's going to be all right. You know, whatever the situation, it's going to be fine. It's going to be cool. There's no stress. No need to stress. If Michael's there, you can have a smile. You can go have a little walk in the park. It's going to be fine. Okay. And saxophone. Oh, see, this is difficult. This is a difficult one. This is like drums in a way because... 
How are you gonna do me like this, man? Oh God. How are you gonna do me like this, man? Saxophone? Can I choose two? Okay, go. Choose two. Oh! Okay. Maybe that's even harder. <laughs> All right, on saxophone. I would choose. Oh God. Can I choose free? <laughs> Can I choose free? Two. Come on, man. Alright, alright, alright. No, okay, I get I get you. I get you. On saxophone, I would choose. Definitely the song by Musingi Brian Edwards. Uh, he's he's because he's he's got that sound man that it just pierces through you. I mean, it's I'll choose Musingi Brian Edwards, uh, and we call him the songbird. But I would say you know he's I have to give it to him because he's one of the uh, only of the old one of the musicians of the older generation that really makes an effort to check out out for the younger players, um, and so he's yeah he's a special cat. But I would also like, um, God damn, that's a difficult question. Let me stick to one because it gets it gets difficult after that. And trumpet. Rephrase the question one more time. Just like, I'm Who would clear. you play trumpet with? With yes. Sheila Maurice Gray. Oh, with Sheila Maurice Gray. Sheila Maurice Gray. She's incredible. She's incredible. I mean, Sheila, okay, let me tell you about Sheila. I would play with Sheila because, A, um, she's been there. Uh, we've, we've kind of grown up playing music together, but she's also one of the, um, you know, most incredible trauma players we have here. So there's just there's a connection in terms of we've we've grown up in in in, in bands together, carnival bands, Thomas Warriors. So we've we've got a thing when we play together anyway. You know, so and I just love her playing. So that would definitely be my first choice. Okay. I'll leave you alone on that. So, so, Mark, Man. can you tell the people where to find you, your social media and all that stuff? For sure, for sure. You can find me on markkavuma.uk, um, on Instagram, Mark Kavuma, Facebook, Mark Kavuma. And, um, yeah, you should be able to find me on those. Well, Mark, thank but you. But you're laughing, man. I'm just laughing. I'll tell you later. But, Mark, thank you for coming on. Like I said, man, it's been great. Took a year to get you on the show, but it's been great. Thank you, thank you man. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Everyone, make sure you check out his two albums when they come out. And everyone, yes. this is Leanna from Improv Exchange. Thank you, and have a good day. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>